Welcome to the second in our series of uh, Future Farm Resilience Fund podcasts um, from NIAB, working in conjunction with AKC and Savills. I'm your host, Will Vaughan France, Regional Agronomist for the Southwest with NIAB. And uh, today we're going to be talking about break crops. And I've been joined by our break crop specialist in NIAB, Colin Peters. Uh, welcome, Colin. Hello. So we're going to have a bit of a chat about all things break crops, oilseed rape, and uh, some of the alternatives. Perhaps one of the big challenges that a lot of growers are facing at the moment as they make cropping plans and decide how they're going to balance the rotation over the next um, 12 months. Um, when you look back over the last 10 years, we've seen oilseed rape crop from, what, about 740,000 hectares 10 years ago to somewhere between three and 400 now. So we've seen a big reduction. But we keep persisting in trying to drill. And perhaps, um, Colin, could you just give us perhaps a flavour of how you see the challenges with oilseed rape and, and why we keep persisting against some of these challenges? Obviously, the biggest challenge is the cabbage stem flea beetle issue. And I think the reason why we're so keen to try and find a way around this problem is the fact that it's such a fit for the UK road, you know, arable rotation from a cultivation perspective from the the fact that it is a really really good break crop um, giving a really good entry for a first cereal um, it fits with the labour profile it fits you know it ticks so many boxes which is why it was our favourite crop for 30 odd years um, I can remember when it was introduced when I was very little which was a very very long time ago um, and it everyone was amazed what a difference it made to the rotation so there are big challenges. There's a lot of work going on to try and find ways to make it more reliable. We're not going to cure the flea beetle problem. Um, NIAB are working hard with DEFRA funding. DEFRA have been really good um, in helping us out over the last couple of years. And we think we are making a bit of progress on understanding how we might affect the numbers but there's also a lot of work done by our colleagues in AHDB, ADAS etc uh, on different projects looking at ways that you can try and make your crop a little bit more reliable but this is quite a recent problem and so we're still trying to understand the actual behaviour of the pest in the wider landscape because we know a little bit about the life cycle what we don't really understand is how it works in the wider environment and working with a lot of farmers and bringing in a lot of anecdotal information as well as the, the trial work we're doing we are starting to make progress on how to make it a bit more reliable so i mean it's a, what, around about uh, seven eight years now since neonicotinoids went so i mean this is a yeah. challenge we've been dealing with for a few years how that obviously happened also in on continental europe as well um is this a UK problem or is this a problem that is just as big an issue in Denmark, in Germany, in northern France, in other big oilseed rate growing regions of, uh, that are local to us? It's it's less of a problem the colder it gets the further away you get, uh, which seems to be part of the issue. Um, and we're, tr we're still trying to understand how that works. Um, but certainly it's, as we all know, in central England, it is a huge problem. Last year, we were trapping, getting close to 400 adults a square metre coming out of the ground. And when you actually say that, that gives you a sort of a hint as to like how big the problem is. So that, that's um, kind of per plant for sort of territory, that, isn't it? That's plenty per cotyledon, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
so we do we do need to understand how we can actually affect that population from a, a, a within an IPM strategy. Um, we are playing around, as many people will know, with different cultivation techniques and trying to understand the pupae and adult situation in the surface of the soil. We've made quite a lot of progress over the last 18 months and we have been reducing the number of adults emerging from the soil by different cultivations soon after harvest where we appear to be affecting the pupae. Early days and we're doing a lot of soil sampling and trying to understand exactly what's going on at the moment together with our colleagues at East Malling. Um, and for those who, for those growers who have been involved, they're being kept up to date with what we're learning. Um, early results this year show that that is still the case, even though we're in a later harvest window, as we all know. Um, so we weren't quite sure how that's all going to work this year, but we have early indications from emergence traps are showing that where we've cultivated, we have very significantly reduced the numbers of adults coming out of the ground. So so one of the things I've often been quite keen to do with oilseed rape stubbles on my own farm and when advising others as well is actually not do anything straight after harvest. Leave seed on the surface, allow volunteers to to break dormancy, um, particularly if the soil's dry, so you don't put them straight, and to prevent volunteer problems building in the future, because I probably because I've seen too many crops where um, fifty seeds are sown and you've got eighty plants, and you wonder how that happens. Um, maybe that so that perhaps maybe now the wrong thing to do from the point of cabbage stone flea beetle. Maybe we're better to put a five centimeter sort of disc cultivation or very shallow tine cultivation through to tickle that surface. Would would that be something that we would be better to do do you think based we, we we other really old people like john cousins will remember the original <laughs> i'm advice. sure he'll take that as a compliment Colin. he will <laughs> um so i used to work with john when we, we used to work with peter luckman who was the first we think was the first person who said don't cultivate your rape stubbles and this was relating to the dormancy of all seed rape if it was buried and we think that's where it came from. And we don't actually think that it, that advice was generated by leaving it as a trap crop for the flea beetle because flea beetle wasn't a problem then. Um, so we need to revisit that understanding. But what we are finding is, and we're soil sampling at different depths in different fields and have been doing for the last uh, for, uh, five weeks before harvest. Um, and we, we now know that the majority of the pupae are in the top 30 odd mil. So, um, we're suggesting that whatever we're finding out is best done cultivating as shallow as possible. Um, where we've done that over the last couple of years, we haven't actually seen a difference in volunteer numbers six, eight weeks later because you're doing it very quickly. And we think if we go shallow enough, that's not necessarily going to cause the problems that we thought existed in those days. Um, but it's still something we need to revisit. We also need to revisit what the difference might be parasitoids wise if we cultivate straight after harvest as opposed to where we might more generally do it six eight ten weeks later so, so that's that's further work one of those sort of challenges that comes in with all things in biology that you can do one thing in good faith and get caught by yeah. something else in instead yeah. um not everyone has had a, a significant problem with cabbage stone flea beetle on their farms yet. Um, not to the point of limiting their, their crops, but probably it's perhaps feared by almost ubiquitously across the 
the country. But just reviewing this harvest we've just had, what are your thoughts on how crops are performed in different regions of the um, U U UK? Because we've it's not just cabbage stone flea beetle. We've also had issues to do with an, some quite unusual weather patterns. I think all weather patterns seem to be unusual now, but fairly unusual weather patterns. And um, uh, whilst we had relatively little um, um, disease set in, other than perhaps things like um, things like club root, um, crops have had a tough time and we've seen other significant insect pests for some like uh, winter stem weevil as well so what's your perspective of how the crops really perform this year and how do you think that will affect people's willingness to drill this autumn so if i if i may comment on club root where where i, I get very worried that you talk, you talk to a lot of farmers places like cereals um Rape got to 700 pound a ton. Marvellous, we're going to do loads more rape. How are you going to do that? I'm going to shorten the rotation. OK, so what are you going to do? I'm going to use a club root variety because we've now got lots of club root varieties out there that are very good. True, but they all rely on one gene. When that gene goes, there will be no club root varieties left. So we urge people to only use club root varieties where they know they need them. So that's that's that yes, I mean, I, apart from anything else, most of them have a, they still have some element of performance drag. Um, and some soils are just not that suited to club root anyway. If you've That's got right. a club root problem, you probably already know about it. Yes. Yeah. And it's actually quite easy to test. You can actually do the test yourself, really, by growing varieties and that, you know, in, in trays from that field the year yeah. before. So um, around the country, the the stem larvae numbers that we've looked at over the last two or three years, the east of the country, so we're, we're looking at 2022 to 2023, the east of the country we know had a lot less cabbage stem flea beetle available in 2022 autumn. So they appear to have yielded quite well. Um, we lost a lot of crops in the centre of the country. So I'm talking Cambridgeshire, Hertfordshire and uh, around there and South Suffolk because we got much, much colder temperatures on two occasions than we're used to. Um, I lost all my trial sites in Cambridgeshire in February where we were getting in Cambridgeshire down to minus 17, several nights on the trot. And that went on for quite a while and that did finish them off. Um, but the southwest, um, we've got very variable yields in the southwest. Some are very good, some are very bad. Um, it's, a, it's early days for us to bottom as, that As a out. resident of the southwest, I would concur with that. So Somerset, a lot of three tonne a hectare, three and a half. Cornwall, more four to five tonne a hectare. Not noted as a big oilseed rate growing region, of course. But but, um, nope. um, but what we have seen is a lot of the adult uh, or a lot of flea beetle have migrated to North Wales. Um, so we had very high stem larvae numbers in the spring of the winter of 2022 into 2023. Um, so we're still sort of trying to understand that. It's, it's meant that our trial sites in, in places like Telford are no longer much use to us, whereas only three or four years ago, they were absolutely the safe fine. place, weren't they? To go, they were the safe place. Yes, and they're not anymore. So, um, when we look at, we probably ought to have a little bit of a chat about some of the other break crops as well, because I think I mean there's a few little hints of some things to consider on oilseed rate, particularly around cultivations post crop that might help. But I think it, many of the other key things around success, good quality seed beds, moisture availability, etc. 
are things that are probably fairly well rehearsed. Um, but within the uh, alternative sort of break crop segment, where do you see the greatest opportunities coming there? We've already got a more diverse break crop background and we had forage maize, for example, is a significantly greater area than it would, would have been 10 years ago. Um, oats have perhaps increased in area, but but what are your what are you what are the ones you'd be interested in for the future? I think the 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 exciting areas are um, I mean they're, they're, there's a lot of things that people don't often think about, like herbage seed. So we're seeing quite a few people have moved out of oilseed rape into herbage seed. Um, herbage seed fits with our sort of thoughts on regen farming and slightly you know being different in those those respects. There's quite a lot of areas in the centre of the country now where um, herbage is being grown by contractors that will take it away, barn dry it and sell it for a fortune in places like Newmarket. So there, there are these types of things, things there. But there's a whole range of other crops that DEFRA are really trying to sort of push forward. Um, NIAB have recently got involved in quite a large um, chickpea breeding project. So we've got quite a lot of chickpeas on in the ground at the moment. Um, we're looking at those from a whole range of. Uh, they almost could be an animal feed type thing or the proper chickpea market, because if you think about chickpeas, a lot of them are harvested a long way away. They then move around the, around the planet, then they're rehydrated and put in a tin. Doesn't make any sense. Let's, you know, they're. They're the types of things that we're looking at as to can we actually get them growing in the UK, certainly in the south of the UK, because they're not far off the coast in northern France. Um, we did, um, uh, as you'll be aware, we did a very large review for DEFRA on underutilised crops, which covered a whole range of things. And it's very easy to find if you just Google DEFRA underutilised crops, you get the whole 389 page report i just scanned to the summary there is a summary you. isn't there as well for those yeah, i was going to say i, I, I don't put a summary <laughs> um but within that um hemp you know hemp might sound a bit out there but when you actually look at the potential of hemp and the fact that the netherlands have reduced re removed all restrictions on it um we came up with thousands of different uses for hemp it's being it's being called for in a whole range of uh manufacturing processes from houses to aeroplanes to all sorts yeah, of bits and pieces sustainable fiber i mean it's absolutely the agenda if the supply chain was in place to develop it i mean it's 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 i just i say supply chain i mean is, is that one of the barriers behind it as well as the legislation no, no, or, is, or is it just down to the restrictions we we were quite surprised how big the supply chain already exists but they're having to import it from various places to to use it to proof a concept type thing um so if we went back to where you know if henry the eighth was still king it was compulsory you had to grow hemp for the for the armada um but those types of crops do exist i hadn't um, amongst the various things that henry the eighth achieved in our modern culture that still hang around today i i, I hadn't realized that hemp was one of them Oh yes, yes. It's, um, so we've we've also got a lot of breeding work going on with pulses. So a, a lot of us would automatically go to to peas and beans if we're we're moving away from all seed rape, uh, and obviously the 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 acreage is increasing, um, and there's a lot of work 
an effort being put into, as we all know, you know, are we going to move to a more pulse led diet in the future? Um, which is why the chickpea type thing comes in. Um, and there's, there's a lot of effort being put into trying to understand how we can do more with beans and peas because they're not delivering in a in a sustainable and reliable way that we want them to in the longer run. So understanding the genetics of those is is a big effort that's going on. Um, and there's a you know if people don't if they're not familiar with them there's quite a range of pea varieties out there now that you can cherry pick markets and for the more um, interested people the human consumption side of peas there, there's quite a lot you can do um, and if you if you borage and all these types of crops they they are out there they do exist and they're worth exploring there's a whole range of people within NIAB and with outside, you know, outside of NIAB that are, are developing these crops quite successfully. They're not just a pie in the sky type thing. I mean, I can remember 25 years ago, evening primrose. So we all grew lots of weeds yes. um, type thing. But those types of things are out there. And, and that underutilised crops review, we did come up with some some quite interesting stuff. And even, even if you take things like linseed, so winter linseed, is gaining ground there's quite a lot of interest at the moment in growing winter linseed a lot further north than we're familiar with it performed very well in 21 22 um very north which a lot of people wouldn't expect it to do so um and lin linseed is a crop. crops and linseed is one that, i mean they all have challenges as well they don't know i mean it's not like they there's do. some sort of panacea of um an easy time and and so i'm going to throw uh a slightly curved ball into the conversation as we come towards sort of the end is, is our idea of of a break crop actually slightly flawed and if you're starting to think about the role of for example companion cropping uh the way that some stewardship options might come in cover cropping over winter is our actually the way we might are we thinking about breaks in a sort of slightly too narrow sense should we be thinking broader about for example could you grow continuous wheat if you had a continuous clover understory um if you had uh diverse cover crops um from september through to march and could you then actually grow continuous spring barley for malting on some so as and actually effectively get your get your break crop sort of within the crop year as well as your profit drive profit driver crop um are, are there other ways of doing this i think i i think you're totally right um i i long since stopped thinking about the crops we grow as monocrops and that there is potential for doing a whole range of other bits and pieces um the whole cover crop companion crop whatever however you want to describe it is a really exciting uh, situation for livestock farmers and arable farmers um and i think you're right there there's a whole there's a whole new way of thinking about how we actually drag stuff out of the atmosphere improve the soil condition and and try and manipulate what we learn from different crops and how we can actually get those to help each other so crop equivalents where you might grow two things and try and get the equivalent of more than half of each other. One and a half or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, one and a yeah. It's a productivity um, gain in a simplest simple sense. It, it is, it is. And and we've got to stop thinking 
in the same way that we might have thought 20, 30 years ago, where, you know, where we just sort of play our stuff, let it overwinter, plant something in the spring and harvest it. Those days have gone. We need to think a lot more, not necessarily outside the box, because there's a lot of stuff in the box that 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 we have a, a good knowledge of and we're learning fast. So you're right, the whole break crop thing isn't necessarily where a particular crop sits in the rotation. It's how you use a range of different crops within the rotation. And they may may they may actually be together at the same time, but we need to understand what that means. So if we've got bits of brassicas in something to do with a cover crop that oil seed rape is a club root issues. So there's a whole range of different bits and pieces there to go. But yeah, really exciting times. Um and it's 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 that sort of standing back and trying to get a bigger picture as to how we can make best use of the whole range of tools we've got available. Darling, I think that, that's great. Listeners, if there are crops you're thinking about, do get in touch with us um, because there may well be some, there, there's a lot of work going on within NIAB looking at some of these specialist crops. There's a lot of knowledge that exists. So if you are taking part in the farm, Future Farming uh, Farm Resilience Fund work uh, that we're delivering, then, um, then I'm sure there, there are specialists who might be able to help. Um, and there may be you know, ways to engage on some of the work as well where things are being tried and tested. So um, do get in touch if anything is of interest. Colin, thank you very much as ever for um, joining us. Good fun. And, um, if it, as you say, if anyone's got any questions, do get in touch. And uh, uh, we look forward to the next um, podcast. So thank you very much.